Would you turn there with me? Love for you to do that. This actually is the middle of the Bible. Psalm 118. In light of Christmas, in light of the Lord's Supper, in light of our series through the book of Hebrews, we look today at Psalm 118. Look at verse 1 with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 118, verse 3. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord, including Crossway, say, His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 5. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Uh, Now, it's been said that if you take the verses of the Bible, um, that Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9 are literally the midpoint of the Bible. What would the midpoint of the Bible say? It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Let's bow for prayer. And of course, if you'll keep your place open there. Lord, we bow before You, our great God and King. Please help us this morning as we look here in Psalm 118. Help us to think about these historical kings and help us also to see the king, the only perfect king to whom they all pointed. We thank you for what we call the Old Testament, which is just which is just the Bible. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the book of Psalms. Oh Lord, would you help us this morning? Help us in our sluggishness. Wake us up to your glory. Work among us, O oh Lord, only by your working, not by any maneuvering that we do. Help us to worship and to praise and to thank the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, would you save and would you sanctify and grant, O Lord, repentance and faith. Grant conviction leading to the knowledge of the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The Bible says, let brotherly love continue. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Dear saints, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Uh, There's a guy named Donald Gray Barnhouse. Donald Gray Barnhouse was... Many decades ago, pastor in uh, my adopted hometown there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at 10th Presbyterian Church. And uh, during World War I, Donald Gray Barnhouse served in the American Army. As I said, he went on to be a pastor for a well known pastor for a long time, but he served in World War I in the army and spent some time flying open cockpit biplanes that the army was using at the time. Someone asked him if he was not afraid to fly in those planes. Aren't you afraid? Especially since they might be used in combat. He answered that God had reassured him with a verse from the Psalms, from Psalm 118. And as he flew these open cockpit biplanes, James Boyce tells the story, Barnhouse had these two lines in his head. He rephrased them into a little rhyming poem from Psalm 118. Ours is not to fly and die. Ours is to live and testify. Ours is not to fly and die. Ours is to live and testify. He got that from Psalm 118, verse 17, where the psalmist says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Listen to me this morning. As fallen people living in a fallen world, we are not good. We are not God. Our love is fickle. We pledge our love, but we live in a land of no-fault divorce. There is no permanence. There is not true love. It is very rare. It is non-existent. What do we say? As fallen people living in a fallen world, our love is based so many times only on feelings. We do contracts instead of covenants. We do not keep our promises. We are not good. Dear friend, you are not good. No one is good except for God alone. And one of the greatest indictments of us as believers 
one of the greatest indictments of us is that in light of the Lord's lavish salvation and mercy upon us, we are just simply just not grateful as we ought to be. But, but, but God, but God. The first point this morning, and there are two, there are two, and the first one we've already covered, and that was, uh, it was on the screen, it was Hebrews 13, and you don't have to turn there at all, but my question is, did you get that? Did you get it? Let me revisit it for just a moment, if I could. And again, you don't worry about turning there. This was the first point, was Hebrews 13. Listen to it again. It needs no explanation. It's very straightforward. Receive the Word of God this morning. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as those in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, here it is, here it is. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, 6 is... Uh, is Psalm 118. Hebrews 13.6 is Psalm 118. It is the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, so it appears slightly different in our Bibles. And in Psalm 118, verse 6, Hebrews 13.6, Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side. Psalm 118.6 I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7 The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And so we're in point number two. I said there's two. Number one is Hebrews 13. Uh, we're, we're done with that. Number two, Psalm 118. The first thing I want you to notice under this second heading, dear friends, this morning. The first thing that I want you to notice under this second heading of Psalm 118, and we're looking at this in light of Christmas, in light of our study in Hebrews, in light of the Lord's Supper. Number one is this, Jesus the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. I want you to see is Psalm 118. I want you to understand that this is a uh, a messianic psalm. Not everybody would agree with that. I just think some scholars are too picky. But I will say that I think it's a messianic psalm. 
Which is just to say that it points forward quite clearly to the Messiah. There is no other psalm in all of the 150 psalms that is used depending on how you judge it. I think it's some, depending on how you judge, 20 to 60 times in the New Testament. Luther said this was his favorite. May God help us to see Psalm 118 for a few minutes this morning. As I said, the first thing I want you to notice is that the Messiah is coming. This is a messianic psalm. Um, years ago, as I as I lived in Pennsylvania for one year, my pastor was Fred Zaspel, and he was my pastor and my boss and continues even today to be a bit of a mentor. Fred came out recently with a very um, a very helpful book on the Psalms. It's really good. And he says this. Just listen to this. When we read of the Davidic king in the Psalms, we must look with one eye to the historical kings and the other eye to the Messiah whom they represent. What's he saying? Well, most of the Psalms, you know, are, are come from David. And so a lot of the Psalms have to do with King David. And if they don't, they still have David's imprint on them, and they still many times have to do with a king, even if it's not specifically David, many times it is, but many times it's a king, and they're all going to be in David's line. And so what he's saying is here is that we need to pay attention to the fact that there's something being said in the Psalms and in this Psalm about, about the historical king but we need to have one eye on the Messiah who is represented by that king. He says, if indeed, indeed, if Jesus and the New Testament writers are our guide, we are not reading the Psalms rightly if we do not read the Psalms with an eye toward the Messiah. We have it on the authority of the Lord Jesus himself that the Psalms speak of him. Jesus said, the Psalms speak of me. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. So you have Psalm 117, the shortest chapter in the Bible. You have Psalm 118, which is in many ways the most important psalm in the New Testament. And then you have Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And I submit to you, as I think will become clear, this is a messianic psalm. The Messiah is coming. Christmas is not about Santa Claus. It's about incarnation. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ, you've heard Jesus the Messiah, Christ Christ is not his last name, it's a title. Jesus Messiah, born to die. Born to die. And this psalm speaks about his death and his resurrection. Even in verse 22, would you glance at that? Psalm 118 verse 22. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This psalm speaks about the crucifixion and resurrection of Messiah. If you keep reading in verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Psalm 118, verse 24. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. That's a great prayer for Crossway Church to pray. Verse 25. That's a great prayer for us to pray corporately. That's a great prayer for you to pray as a family. That's a great prayer for you to pray individually. One thing you might say is, well, hey, I I think I'm saved. You should still pray, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. You could absolutely pray that without any contradiction. If you look at verses 22 through 26, 22 through 26, verse 26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Maybe the number one way that this psalm is taken up, and here's the second thing I'll say about Psalm 118. Psalm 118, number one, it's a messianic psalm. Number two, it's it has to do with Hosanna. Hosanna. This psalm plays a big role in, in Palm Sunday, in the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the very week, listen to me, on the very week of His his last week, uh, on the very week of His crucifixion, when He comes and when He enters into Jerusalem, on Palm Sunday, on the... On the triumphal entry, it's it's Psalm 118, verses 22 through 26. Verse 25, again, I'm, I'm isolating verse 25. You might circle it if you want to. Verse 25 is so wonderful, not least because we know from the whole Bible that believers are not yet saved. And that's not that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just one small reason why you should continue to pray, save us, O Lord. Believers are not yet saved, but this word save us in verse 25, it literally means save now. It's not, let me sit in my lazy boy, Lord, save us. There's a a sense of urgency, save now. Or, Hosanna. Hosanna. So this is a messianic psalm, number one. This is a psalm about Hosanna, which is to say it is about the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. And then third, let's take a quick break and just notice, just just notice the beauties of this psalm. Can I just not assume anything? Let's just orient ourselves to this. Look at verse one. Psalm 100, we, we've just we've jumped in, and now let's step back. As a church, uh, we I guess we started in 2010. I think we started then with reading through one psalm at the beginning of each service. We don't we don't do that now, but we would just read a psalm at the beginning of the service, and then we get to Psalm 119, and a lot of people left. And uh, 
No, we just read a paragraph. And, and now we are, um, and now we're singing psalms. And I, and I just, I think there's more that we could do. Because the psalms are like the treasure chest of the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Does the author tell us what this psalm is about? Well, look at verse 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Now, just in case you didn't notice, verse 29, let me read it again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, is verbatim, word for word, Psalm 118, verse 1, right? And then, when you go to verse 2, Having realized, isn't this great? Having realized that at the end of verse 29, he says, for his steadfast love endures forever. And at the opening of the psalm, he says, for his steadfast love endures forever in verse 1. Then you see in verse 2, let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. So the old covenant people of God, priests, and then all those who fear God, Jew and Gentile alike. Verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Well, what is this psalm about? It's not about me. It's not about you. Don't turn the Bible first of all. Don't turn the Bible first of all. And definitely not the Psalms into a book about you. God has given us a book, and it does benefit you. In fact, you have no benefit but only eternal hell and damnation under the wrath of God unless you see how this book benefits you. But first of all, it is a book about God and about His King. And so he's saying here in the book of Psalms, King, Psalms, King David, King David, and King David's successors. And all of these are... Very real and very puny pointers forward to Messiah, King Jesus. 28 times, 28 times in 29 verses, you see the Lord. What's this psalm about? It's about the Lord. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 4, let those who fear the Lord say, out of my distress, verse 5, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. Verse 7, the Lord is on my side. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Dear friend, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord today. 28 times in 29 verses, not to mention the mention of God or my God three times. Verse 29 is exactly the same as verse 1, which bleeds over into verses 2 through 4. His steadfast love endures forever. We do contracts, and when we should be doing covenants, 
We live in a society of no-fault divorce, which is wicked. There is no permanence in love. It's all based on feelings. But God, the Lord is good. The Lord is God. He is the Lord. His, listen, His steadfast love endures forever. The title of this sermon, by the way, this morning, you can choose one of two. It's either Messiah, if you want that title, or it is this, the goodness and forever mercy of God. The goodness and forever mercy of God. Well, in verses 10 through 12, very quickly, look with me. Let's keep going here. Look with me, verses 10 through 12, and we see this idea of being surrounded four times. There's a lot of repetition in this psalm. Do you, do you read the Bible, dear friend? Do you read the Bible? You need, to, you need to open God's book and pray for God's help to know God's Messiah as you read God's book. Look at verses 10 through 12. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Four times in 10 through 12, the psalmist says in his, in his personal testimony, I, I was surrounded. And three times he says, there's a lot of repetition in this psalm, three times he says, I cut them off. I cut them off. I cut them off. Well, look at verses 15 through 16. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Three times, right hand. Look at verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's just like verses 10 through 12, which brings the total of name of the Lord to four times. What should you do in light of Psalm 118? My dear fellow believer, what should you do? My fellow Christian this morning, my brother, my sister, what should you do? What should we do in light of this? Well, first of all, understand this is about God. This is about God's King. By the way, in verses 5 through 18, it's a personal testimony. And in verses 19 through 29, it's corporate worship. If that helps you at all, 5 through 18, personal testimony, 19 through 29, corporate worship. What should we do? What do I do? Look at it with me. Look at it. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 19, are you looking at it? Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Verse 21, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Verse 28, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Corporate worship, praise of God, Thanks to God is no trivial matter. It is not a matter of indifference whether you sing or not in the gathered people of God. Read Psalm 118 and tell me that it doesn't matter if you're a believer and you just kind of don't really sing. I'm not trying to be overly heavy, but singing and praise and giving thanks, 
These are not matters of indifference because the person who knows God through Jesus Christ has been so transformed that it springs up like a well just so naturally. So naturally. You don't have to tell a believer, hey, I need you to sing more, or you should praise, or you should give thanks. I'm telling you, based on the word here, that is the payoff. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. But even then, the Bible doesn't say just bear give thanks. It says give thanks for. Give thanks for in light of the goodness and the enduring mercy of God. We do not praise the Lord as we should. Our lives are to be praised. Our singing is to be praised. Everything is to be praised and giving of thanks. It is Christmas. Let us not forget Thanksgiving. This passage says, give thanks. Verse 28, you are my God. Can you say that today? I'm asking you, can you say that? You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. His hesed, His covenant love, His mercy toward His people. God orchestrates everything in this world for His glory and for the good of His people in the church. Let me ask you this morning, can you say, you are my God? Let me ask you before we leave Psalm 118, would you look at verse 5? Would you look at this and would you see that God knows us? By the way, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Later on, you should not partake of the Lord's Supper, but we are very glad that you're here. And you too, your desperate need, my dear friend, is to repent of your sins and to begin to give thanks to God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Listen to me, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus speaks this of Himself Jesus laid down his life for sinners so that if you will repent and believe, you can have a clear conscience, the forgiveness of your sins. You need the same thing that we all need, which is to repent and give thanks to God, your maker and redeemer. Verse 5, look at verse 5. I'm showing you a couple of things here because I want you, I want you to make this your own which you can only do truly through Jesus Christ. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. Anybody this morning? Anybody? Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. I was pushed hard. Anybody? So that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. Verse 18. The Lord has disciplined me severely. Say what? Yeah. Anybody? 
The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Look at me. If you are sitting here this morning and you have breath, you have a gracious, free opportunity through the sovereign grace of God to once again or for the first time repent of your sins and give thanks to God through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for sinners. I want you to turn, finally, I want you to turn finally to Luke chapter 20. Luke, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 20. I want to begin looking there in just a second. By the way, by the way, it's almost uh, universally acknowledged by Bible scholars that Psalm 118 was the last song that Jesus thing before he went to the cross. It's almost, I can't tell you that with, you know, 110% certainty, but because during Passover, we do know for certainty, with certainty, during Passover, what were they singing at Passover in Jesus' day? Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was the song that Jesus was singing before he went to the cross as they observe the Passover, which becomes the Lord's Supper. And oh, by the way, many believers have experienced flames around their feet throughout church history while they were singing the Psalms. And when I looked at my email last night and saw that Pastor Ray is going to lead us in singing Psalm 118, I was like, I love that guy. And I want you to remember, this was a song that Jesus took on his lips. And as we close, look at, look at Luke 20. And there's so much that could be said. So, so Jesus tells this wonderful story. He tells this wonderful story, and it's not just wonderful, it's arresting Luke 20, verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. My weak attempt at this on my own is to say this. Imagine, boys and girls, imagine that I owned an ice cream store. That'd be cool. I'd give you all free ice cream. And imagine that I decided to leave town for a long period of time. I'm still the owner of my ice cream shop, but I made arrangements before I left to have some people, a small group of people, run the shop for me in my place while I'm gone for a long time. Well, it's still my ice cream shop, and I'm far away for a long time, but I want to keep tabs on this, my business, that I own while I'm away. I love my ice cream shop. 
I send some people back home to check in and to see how things are going. I want to make sure that all is up to snuff. I want to collect some money. Only to find out that things are not going so well. Only to receive a a report that the delegates that I've sent have been mistreated. Jesus says in Luke chapter 20 verse 10, as he tells this parable, and the parables are not supposed to be nice, they're supposed to be arresting. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, Luke twenty eleven. but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? Psalm 118, verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Listen to this this morning. Listen. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. You think this is a nursery nursery rhyme that Jesus is telling here? And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I close with this, this parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 20, this parable that he tells which in which he is dependent upon Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It has been said that the best title for this parable is the murder of the owner's son. The murder of the owner's son. I won't get into the details, but the owner of the vineyard represents God. The tenants to whom he leased out the vineyard represents the leaders of Israel. The servants that he sent time after time represent the prophets. And the son that he sent finally knowing what would happen to his son represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The vineyard is taken away from the leaders of Israel and it's given through Jesus Christ even to us who believe. The vineyard is given even to Jews and Gentiles who believe. Jesus tells this story about himself. He tells the story about himself. He is the stone that the builders rejected, the murder of the owner's son. May God help us in our sin to look to Christ and to praise and thank his name. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment of silence as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper. Search us, O God, and know our heart. Try us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there be any unclean way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We confess, we confess our sin of 
ingratitude. We thank you for your love, for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you hear the cry of your people who are in distress. We thank you that you gave victory to King David. We thank you that you give victory to your king. And because you give victory to your king, you give victory to your people. Help us to follow in his in the train of his robes. Following along in the path of his victory. Even our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's come to a time, a time of the Lord's Supper. And the first part of that time will be uh, Pastor Ray leading us in the singing of Psalm.